Uh, let's pray. Father, we come before you again. We just want to prepare hearts now for your word. Uh, your word is living and active. It cuts between uh, everything that sometimes hinders us from knowing you. And so I just pray today as we get into Philippians chapter 3 and sort of the end of the chapter here that you will help us to fully understand what it is you want us to hear. I know a lot of this is connected with last week, but uh, we, are, we are so thankful that we can hear from your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would just speak through me, that these would be your words and not mine. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So right after I graduated from Ozark Christian College, I took a part-time youth ministry uh, job while Abby began her master's degree at John Brown University. And there was a time when she and I both actually worked together at John Brown, and eventually she began to work at a counseling agency. But I continued on for those three years while she was there getting her degree as the Mo Crew supervisor. And because the grounds department doesn't get a huge cut of the budget, uh, we had to improvise and adapt when it came to just certain repairs and fixes across the campus. One of the guys that I worked with, his name was Les. Les was a great guy. Uh, He was a turkey farmer before he came to JBU. So he had some interesting ways of solving certain problems around the campus. He was more of a Uh, do as I say, not as I do kind of guy. So for instance, we had a mole problem at one point in a few places around the soccer field. And I had seen at Home Depot and Lowe's these stakes that you could put into the ground that sort of repels the moles. And I thought, well, maybe that's what we would do. Les had a little different approach. He went and got a big yellow five-gallon can of diesel And he said, hey, take that trenching shovel, which is kind of a narrow-bladed shovel, and open up those mole holes, and uh, we'll take care of the moles. And so after, I'm sure, what was a precise amount of diesel was poured into those holes, he took a torch, lit them. Now, now if you've ever played with gasoline or diesel, which you should not do, okay, (laughs) diesel doesn't flare up quite like gasoline. Don't ask me how I know that. But it didn't explode, it just sort of burned and and took care of the mole problem. Now that was near the soccer field, so that was his approach there. Out by the greenhouse, we were building an addition, and the moles had gotten inside there, which is a bad thing, you don't want them eating your plants. He took a more aggressive approach to that. He got the oxygen and acetylene tank and a hose, and he ran that into the mole hole and turned it on, letting that mixture get into the holes. And I remember looking at him with concerned eyes. <laughs> I wasn't sure we should be doing this. And Les looked at me and he said, Ross, just do as I say, not as I do. And he took the hose out, he lit the torch, he stood back a little ways, I stood back a long ways, he lit that, and everywhere the moles had gone, exploded. Les was a good man. Uh, He survived, He, he survived, I survived, the moles didn't. Les was, I mean, he truly was and is a devout Christian man. He is someone whose example you could absolutely follow but not when it comes to solving problems like moles. In that case, you don't want to follow his example. And maybe you've had not similar experiences, but maybe you've been around people who are those do as I say, not as I do kind of people. 
and, and it's, it's interesting when it comes to grounds, yeah, that's one thing, but when it comes to living the Christian life, we can't be do as I say, not as I do Christians. See, our words have to match our actions. And in our text today, Paul says, I want you to follow my example. Essentially, he says, do as I say and as I do. And so as we move through the text, what you're going to see is Paul getting emotional about a group of people who should be good examples, but instead they become what Paul describes as enemies of Christ. And it's imperative that no matter how mature you are in your faith or how mature you think you are in your faith, you need to follow the pattern that has already been established by the faithful Christians who go before us. And so this text really does uh, point that out. This, it builds on the text from last week. Last week we talked about that one thing, you gotta focus on eternity. And this week Paul seems to be imploring us to look for heavenly solutions to earthly problems. How do you find heavenly solutions to earthly problems? Well first, you gotta do what he says here. You follow the example set by other believers. So as I was growing up, my mother's hobby was sewing. In fact, it was more than a hobby. It was uh, part of the way she earned some money. She did alterations for places like J.C. Penney's, department stores. But she used to make all sorts of things for our family, neckties and purses and coats and every Halloween costume that I ever wore. Those of you who have done sewing or, or maybe you've, uh, you've done some quilting, you know that you have to follow a pattern. I remember as a little kid going to uh, the fabric store with my mom, and, and they had these big books and all these things that you could make out of fabric, and she would get a couple of those envelopes with the patterns in them. She'd go home. She'd start cutting out the fabric to match those patterns. You, and if you do it just right, if you sew it all together correctly, it looks pretty close to that picture. Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do a similar thing. Follow the pattern of other believers around you. In Philippians 3.17, here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Now, you might read that and think, man, isn't Paul kind of being egotistical here? He's encouraging us to follow his example, but he's also encouraging us to follow others as well. In Paul's absence, he needed them to follow the examples of other people. Uh, we looked at a couple of those a few weeks ago. If you remember Timothy and Epaphroditus, they were good examples. Paul was not perfect. He's not claiming to be. Neither are the examples that we might follow in this church or any other church. What Paul is saying is follow the aspects of my life, follow the character, follow the teaching that reflects Christ. You guys have heard a few stories now about my dad. He was by no means a perfect example, but I could take the things in his character that reflected Christ and pattern that aspect of my life after his. I did the same thing with my mother, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, and hopefully my children will do the same thing. Pay attention to the examples that are around you ref that reflect the character of Christ that will really help you grow and mature exponentially. And please recognize that age has nothing to do with it. It, it really doesn't. I've met some young people who were incredibly mature, and I've met some young people who weren't very mature, and I've met some older folks who were so wise and I look up to to this day, and I've met some, some older folks who 
who were not very mature. Age is not part of the maturity process. Hopefully, as you age, you get more and more like Christ. You become more and more like Christ. But in the end, just find those examples that you can follow. Timothy is a perfect example of that. He's this young man. He's got a church that he has to shepherd. And so Paul writes to him in 1 Timothy 4.10, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, Timothy. Be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church and encouraging the believers and teaching them. So this is a young man. He's just beginning his ministry there in Ephesus. And Paul says, I know you're young, but I need you to set an example in all these different ways. No matter what your age, there's an example for you to follow, and there's also a way for you to set an example. Charles Spurgeon once said this, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. His life, if his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and they reject his preaching. See, we can't be do as I say, not as I do Christians. We need to follow the example that's set by other believers, good examples around us. And like Spurgeon we need to, says, we need to make sure that our preaching and our practice always lines up. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. For Paul, his preaching, his practice lined up. And that's true for many of the folks there in the Philippian church. It's true for many of the folks here. And the reason Paul is encouraging them and encouraging us to follow the example of other believers is to avoid becoming an enemy of the cross. Now, I realize how harsh that may sound. We're all sitting in a church here. We're a lot of good examples in here. You may be a good example yourself. But the people Paul was talking about who have become enemies of the cross, they thought they were good examples too. So I just want to say let this simply be a word of caution for all of us that we must be diligent about making sure we don't slide into this particular camp. So here's what Paul says in Philippians 3.18. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. So the first question we should really answer is, who are these people? Who are the people that Paul's talking about here? We need to know this. The people that have become enemies of the cross of Christ because I don't want to be one of those. What caused them to become enemies? What went wrong? Was it a doctrinal thing? Was it a behavioral thing? Were these people Christians? Were they not Christians? Were they outsiders, people outside the church? If they are Christians, maybe these were the Judaizers that we talked about where they mixed too much of the law with grace trying to make these new Gentile Christians do things that they didn't need to do. Perhaps they were just heathens. Maybe they were uh, Jewish folks who were trying to convert people back to Judaism. In the end, we don't know for sure who these enemies are. I'm going to give you my opinion. This is my interpretation of the text. The best that I can tell, 
Paul says this with tears in his eyes. And that leads me to believe maybe he knew them. Maybe he knew them personally. Maybe they were Christians. But they had been trapped by the ways of the world and their lifestyle began to reveal some not so good things. Now we can't say for sure, but the fact that he is weeping over these people just makes me think they're closer to the church than just people outside causing trouble. That's my interpretation. Maybe they believed the gospel, but they had walked down a path of destruction, he says. In our culture, we would call it kind of reconstruction. They'd walked away from sound teaching. And again, they were trying to mix the law with grace in the wrong way when God has already taken care of all that in Christ. Romans 8, 1 through 4 describes that for us. It says, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who are no longer, we no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. As the law was fully satisfied in Christ's sacrifice. We are literally free from the power of sin. You don't have to keep falling back into that. You can allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in all the areas of your life. And to teach anything different than that would be to become an enemy of the cross. Which Paul says, tearfully, some were doing just that. He goes on to say that their God is their appetite. Does that mean they were struggling with a sin of gluttony? Probably not. It's possible. Maybe they were focusing too much on the food laws, not enough on the work of Christ. It's most likely that the broader stroke of that phrase means that they gave in to their own physical desires rather than following God. So gluttony, sure. More likely, sexual sins. He says they brag about shameful things. All they think about is life here on earth. And instead of looking for heavenly solutions to earthly problems, they just look for earthly solutions to their earthly problems. And they always come up empty. And you guys know it only takes about five minutes of watching TV or looking at social media to figure out that people brag about shameful things today. They brag about all sorts of sin. You know what, we need to not do that, but we also need to be careful about watching those things. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, okay, move on, I'm not an enemy of the cross. My dad always told me when I was learning to drive to look both ways and then look again just in case. I'm just asking you to look again at your own life just in case. Because I don't want you to become an enemy of the cross of Christ. I don't want to become an enemy of the cross either. I want to avoid this altogether. So take a look. Just make sure your focus is on the right thing. That you are following the right examples. You're being led by the Spirit of God. 
Are we setting those good examples? Are we following those good examples? I hope so. But this question of whether or not we are enemies just comes out in the text, so we have to address it. Romans 8, 5, and 6, Paul says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, well, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. How many of you guys remember, it's kind of the old children's song, Oh, Be Careful, Little Eyes? You guys remember that, right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Now, you remember, do you know there were seven verses to that song? Seven verses, yeah. I, I didn't know. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little heart, whom you trust. And be careful, little mind, what you think. See, what Paul is saying, what I'm trying to say to you today is very similar to this children's song. Be careful. Just be careful what you let into your mind. Be careful what you let into your heart. Be careful what your hands do. Be careful who you surround yourself with. Let's avoid at all costs being enemies of the cross. And one of the best ways that we can avoid that is to look for heavenly solutions to our earthly problems. Now to finish out his thought, Paul returns to this idea of being heavenly minded and eternally focused by telling us to eagerly expect the return of Christ. Are we eager and excited about the potential for Christ's return? Jesus says in Matthew 25 that no one knows the day or the hour. Now, that doesn't mean that you can know the month and the year, okay? Please, please don't try to predict the return of Christ. It, people have been trying to do that for years, and literally, they have had zero success, Okay, no one can do it. Uh, there's a, a man named Edgar uh, Wisnat who wrote a book, uh, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Be in 1988. Well, that didn't happen. You know what he did? He said, I did the math wrong. I forgot to carry the one. So he wrote another book, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Be in 1989. That didn't happen either. Guys, we need to not get bogged down with the day and the hour, the month, the year. Just eagerly expect Jesus' return. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies, change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. See, we ought to follow the examples of believers around us so our appetites don't begin to rule our motives, and we eagerly wait for the return of Christ. And that eager expectation should really and truly always be on our mind. The day when Christ will return, we'll receive those new bodies, and we're going to spend eternity with him. Do you have that eager expectation? Do you live with that every single day? That potential that any, any second he could come back. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11, it describes for us how you and I ought to live with this eager expectation. It's, it's a 
kind of a lengthy passage here, but you got to hear this. This is the word of God. You got to hear this. Listen to what it says. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the the sinful earthly things that lurk within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Yeah, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Like, you got to be excited about that. That is how we ought to live with an eager expectation just like that. And we need to be the ones that set the example for the next generation that follows behind us. Because some of your sons, some of your daughters, some of your grandsons, some of your granddaughters, they need to go into ministry. They need to be serving in the church. If we don't raise up the next generation of leaders, what happens to the church? We have to set the example for them and avoid becoming enemies of the cross by just eagerly expecting the return of Christ. And I'm telling you, if you do all that, you're going to find heavenly solutions to your earthly problems. I want to close by just giving us a visual illustration of what this looks like. So I want you to imagine... Maybe you've seen this before, but I want you to imagine that this rope goes on for eternity. I know it doesn't. It ends right there. I know. but Imagine it goes on for all eternity. You get one chance at life. That's it. And you get eternity somewhere. Somewhere you're going to spend eternity. This is the timeline of your life. And this portion right here, this little green portion, that's your life on earth. That's all you get. You're born, graduate high school, and then you say to yourself, I'm going to get a good job, and I'm going to work really, really hard right there so I can live really, really good right there. (laughs) What about all this? I mean, what about all this? Guys, I just, I want to encourage you, don't spend so much time focused on this that you forget about eternity. Don't don't spend so much time focused on the things of earth that you forget about all the things of heaven that are to come. I know that scripture doesn't say a ton about heaven. It says a little. We'll study that someday. You know, Colton said, why would you waste your life on Jesus? Because what you do here affects all this. 
the example you set here for the people in this room, for the people you work with, for the people in your family, what you do as an example here affects, could affect their eternity. And so I just want to encourage you today. I know life can get hard. I know we can get bogged down. I do too. So many things happening and we're so focused on right there, there to there, so we can enjoy there. And in the end, we don't, we don't know where it ends because it could end tomorrow. So just remember, be a little more heavenly minded. When you run into problems in that little green part, think about how he would solve them. Think about what you could do that would make an eternal difference. Don't waste your life living for something that doesn't affect eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the opportunity at life. And we don't want to waste that. We don't want to be people who become enemies of the cross because we were too focused on the things of this earth. I'm reminded that him, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Help us to live like that, Lord. Help us to live kingdom-minded lives all the time. We're looking towards eternity even as we focus on what has to be done here. Let us have an impact. Let us make a difference us to be the examples that you want us to be as we eagerly expect and wait for the return of your son. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we leave, we're going to have our our Ninos folks who are here. If you guys would come to uh, the middle aisles and, and the outside aisles here, and what I want you guys to do is just find one of the folks, they got their Nino shirts on. And I just want those of you who are close by them to just reach your hand out, uh, stand up, put your hand on their shoulder. Those of you who are kind of in the middle, you can stay put. Just put your hand out towards one of them. Uh, but they are going to go down to Ninos and, and do some mission work. They're leaving next Friday, so we want to pray just a hedge of protection over them. Uh, but Ninos does a great work there, uh, both to meet the needs of the people in that community, but also an evangelistic need. People need Jesus everywhere. And so if you would, those of you who are close by, stand up, put your hand on their shoulder, and I will pray us out. Father, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to to send these folks off uh, with a prayer of just blessing. And that's what I ask. I ask that you just bless their trip. Uh, Of course, keep them safe and and allow them to to enjoy the time that they have. But really, we ask that your your spirit would move, that they would grow, that they would have opportunities to help others grow, and and hopefully an opportunity to perhaps share the gospel with somebody who doesn't know you, who hasn't made the decision to follow you yet. And so that's what we want to see. Your word is very clear that you tell us that the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So we pray, and you've told us to pray, that you you would send out workers into those harvest fields. Here are our workers. We are sending them out into that harvest field, 
And so just be their, their hands and their feet, Lord. Help them to be able to share the gospel if they have that opportunity, both in what they say and in what they do. We just pray that they will, they will demonstrate who you are to those people down there. We're thankful for this opportunity. We pray this prayer of blessing today over them. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.